Welcome to another edition of Easy Jazz Spotlight. A 17-year-old crooner? Well, it's true. Toronto's Noah Costa began winning singing contests at that age, and today, two years later, he continues to turn heads as he puts a new twist on old jazz standards once made famous by the likes of Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin. A powerful voice, calm demeanor, and distinctive style have created the right brand to attract more and more fans of all ages. In this interview with host Stefan Zakowski, Noah talks about his remarkable journey in music, which he says began from the day he was born. I am here today with a young, versatile singing sensation and humble artist, winner of several competitions and out with a newly released album. It is my pleasure to be speaking with you today, Noah Costa, welcome. Thank you so much. How are you doing today, Stefan? Not too bad. How are you doing, Noah? I'm doing well. Uh, beautiful day. Oh. Um, everything's uh, everything's great. Fantastic. It's, it's we have. Be, I'll give you a warning. We have a tornado warning in effect in my area. Uh, just before the call, yeah, I heard, heard a thunder boom, but I looked up in the sky. It's not that bad in terms of clouds. I did see all the birds flying away, like in the Day After Tomorrow movie. They're all flying in one direction, so I'm not sure what that means. Um, should the power cut out, we'll have we'll probably uh, producer will probably be rescheduling. But that's that's not now. Now I have you here. Everything seems to be working fine. So we'll cross our fingers, hope for the best. I yeah, know tornado you started panic. your musical theater, a musical theater. You started in musical theater at about the age of six, but I'd like to know where music started in your life, like the very core, the very moment in your life when you heard or were an active part of something musical that it made you suddenly feel that's me. That's music. That's that's what I want to be. You know, I guess you could say just right out from the womb. Um my mom, as a young kid, she always showed me these amazing, amazing artists like Queen. Cause she was a big uh, rock and roll fan, and my dad's a big rock and roll fan as well. So she showed me Queen. She showed me all her amazing songs from those times. And from there, it just quickly grew on me, even as a young kid. <clears throat> Sorry. And um, I, can, I, I do have a perfect pitch. And when I talked to my friend about it, he said, you know, a lot of people develop perfect pitch because their parents played such complicated music for them as kids. So when, mm. I, when I sort of realized that, I said, you know what? Music has just been a part of my life for the entirety of it. It hasn't just been since I was six years old. It hasn't even been for the last seven years when I've been doing jazz. It's been my entire life. Do you remember your first, <clears throat> your first or your favorite lullaby? It's not a question I've asked everybody, but I, because you said it's part of your life. Is there a song you remember from your, from the way, way back that you go, oh, there's a lullaby. There's a song that's going to stick with me. I'll probably sing it to my kids whenever I have them or anybody else's kids whenever they have me, you know, watching them. Is there something like that for no, you? No, it's not. I'm sorry. It's not more of a lullaby. It's more of a, just a, a song that I remember as a little, little kid that I used to sing all the time. Double Dutch bus. You know, the double Dutch bus going down the street. Like my, my mom showed me that song. She told me <laughs> stories. I used to dance and sing to those all the time as a little kid. <laughs> and to this day, it still sticks with me. It's it's such a funny thing that out of all, not even a lullaby I can remember, but I can remember double Dutch bus. I was listening at one year old. You're going to have to put an instrumentation behind it and put it on your next album. You really, <laughs> just as a favorite. Yeah, version. Big band version on the way. Exactly, exactly. Um, you have a very versatile voice. I've said that to you uh, when we were speaking before, and I've heard you sing in several different styles very well. What, what's a draw? What finally drew you to jazz and big band music that you're in now? You know, it, it really all started when I went to, my, when I left my elementary school, went to middle school, I went to a school called Baythorn in, in Markham. And this was an art school I had to try out and I got in. And when I got there, there, I was given the option to try an instrument. And that's when I really picked up the saxophone. I picked it up mainly because one, I thought it was a really cool instrument. And I, I, I really, 
um, connected to music as a whole, because I've seen saxophone as a imagery of music in my entire life. Right. And second, because in, in my mind, I really thought that it can lead me towards jazz band, but I didn't really have any motivation to join it at, the, at that time. Like, I didn't know if that was something I really wanted to do. It was just a thought in my mind. And when it came to it, when I was the next year, because it, it, the, grade, the jazz band at my school is from grade seven to eight. So the next year, when I, when I was able to join, my teacher came to me, saw how I was progressing in the saxophone and said, you know what, Noah, I would love, you, I would love for you to join the jazz band at our school. And when I did, I quickly fell in love. Um, it was an amazing, amazing experience getting to play all these jazz songs. I, I think I started off with Monin, okay. a big band version of Monin, like uh, like what uh, Quincy Jones did. Yep. I think it was the exact Quincy Jones arrangement. And um, yeah, it really turned my mindset around it for jazz. It really helped me inspire what to what would become of me today. And it, it even grew on that fact so much so that a year later in grade eight, he took me and a couple of my friends at the time in the jazz band, and we formed a, a combo. And, you know, four 14 year old kids who have zero experience in anything like Charlie Parker and John Coltrane and all these amazing saxophonists and, and Miles Davis and all these guys. It's just, it's amazing that I even got the chance to do that at such a young age when I'm now doing it at University of Toronto. Right. So it was just such a head start for me. And I, I owe it all to that school for giving me my love for jazz. So what turned it for you from playing saxophone as a jazz musician to singing? So there has to be a place where in your mind or in your yeah. voice or in your experience so, that you've said the saxophone was my voice for a while, but I've got something inside that's got to come out. Mm -hmm. So. I was during the time I was learning the saxophone, I was taking vocal lessons at a vocal school of Vaughan. That's the actual name of it. It's a vocal school in Vaughan called the Vocal School of Vaughan. And it it really helped me bring out my jazz. But when I started there, the teacher there, his name was PJ, he put me into Justin Bieber. And when I went up and did it for the first recital, the, the spring recital, womp womp didn't work. Okay. And when I came back for the winter time, my mom goes to him and says, you know what, PJ, it's the, it's the winter time. It's, it's around the New Year season. Let's do New York, New York. Let's try it out. And I agree. We put on New York, New York. Everyone loves it. Round of applause from the audience. People come up to me afterwards. They say, you're the young Sinatra. Next, next recital. I'm doing Sam Smith. I don't know how why I'm doing Sam Smith, but I'm doing Sam Smith songs. I'm doing uh, I'm doing you say I'm crazy, and uh, <laughs> I even had to sing it like that. And I'm not known for my falsetto at all. So, as expected, womp womp, it failed. Ah. Next recital, I come back, and this time I go to my grandfather because he would know more about uh, jazz music than anything, and he suggested I sing Mac the Knife. Ah. And truth be told. That was such a hard song for me to get used to because Bobby Darren has such a big range. Yeah. And at the time I was still going through my voice change. I, I couldn't hit any of the notes he uh, Bobby Darren ever could hit. So <laughs> I was trying my best keeping up with that, especially at a fast paced tune like that. Yeah. And it still turned out better than both the Justin Bieber and Sam Smith songs. Mm. Both, both Bieber and Sam Smith songs are amazing songs. I'll just say that, but they're not for me. Yeah, I cannot sing them. I, I'm uh, <laughs> that's when I really realized that I'm a jazz voice. But what really brought the jazz voice into the forefront over the saxophone is when I went to high school. When I started out in in high school, I joined the vocal program. I I got into both the vocal and the instrumental program, but I decided to go with vocals because I wanted to start singing more. And I still did band, but I found that with vocal, I didn't have as much time to do the saxophone. So at that point, it was more of a, what do I want to continue with? And I realized my, my vocal voice is, to me right now, is much more important. Yeah. So, so I just gave up the saxophone altogether. Well, that makes, I mean, you're following, you're following probably where your heart went as much as the saxophone yeah. was the thing that brought you there. It was a voice that stimulated in your mind. This is the direction I want to take. And as soon as you started singing as well, 
and putting your heart into the song. It's kind of like having, I hate to say it, having two girlfriends, but you love one more than the other. You're going to have to go in one direction. So uh, yeah, you probably exactly. still play saxophone. I do. Um, I recently picked it back up and, uh, and I'm very happy that I did. Um, we'll talk about it more later. <laughs> and I'll just say that, talk about it more later. But okay. yeah, I'm just really happy that I picked the saxophone back up. Well, I want to talk more about your, your voice styling. So I've listened to some of your pop songs and I know that you were not the writer of them, but they seem more suited to your voice. They're not a Justin Bieber. They're not a Bieber, pardon me. And they're not... Um, <laughs> I can't think of his name now that you've mentioned it. Um, I'm horrible with trying to remember people's names. But I found that your voice had more of, um, and I know maybe you're going to take offense, Rick Astley, Lewis uh, Capaldi kind of tone to it when you're doing um, you, the pop songs. A very deep, very rich, very heartfelt, soul-felt kind of voice uh, when you're doing a, a pop song. Probably better suited for ballad than for something really hip-hop and beat, but... You never know. I have not heard all the twists and turns that you're probably capable of. Um, but your big band jazz voice has a Nolans kind of twist to it. And when I say Nolans, it's a colloquialism for those people that are listening that don't know it. That's New Orleans twist. Um, I'd like to know how you categorize your voice, how you how you now that you've been using it as much as you have, how would you say your voice stylings are, are best suited? Ah, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I find that I will not stick to one genre by any means. Um, I will do whatever music I really like to do. Okay. And if that means rock and roll, I'll do rock and roll. But it, it obviously much lower rock and roll. But because <laughs> <laughs> obviously I've tried rock and roll before and I can't obviously sing ACDC. But I know for I know that I, I'll, I'll try. And that's the most important thing. I, uh, uh, in any music project that I do, I try my best to cover as much genres as possible. Right. Just so that, like, because I see, I see what Prince did in his career, how he basically did every single genre under the sun and it inspired me. I, I sort of live by that. Okay. And I really want to try and sort of model my music off of what Prince did. Okay. Because I noticed that your, your latest album that dropped in May, uh, has a number of different musical stylings in it. It's not mm -hmm. not a jazz album. It's not a big band album. I believe you've mentioned that it has bossa nova in it. Um, yeah. So there's there's different stylings in it. And when we get to the towards the end, I'm going to ask you what's coming, what's new. Um, hopefully, there's going to be something more in more some more interesting twists and turns to your to your vocal categories in in your next album. But with all of those stylings in your album. Which is your favorite? Which is the the styling that you find the most comfort in, the most uh, draw towards? I find the most comfortable in mainly ballads. Okay, I think that I, I think a lot of people can agree with me when I say ballads are the most soulful piece of music that you can probably sing. Because in that, I feel like I really can pour my heart into it and really sort of imagine myself in the story. Whereas in any in any medium time or fast paced sw swing song, it's all the same thing. Oh, you're so lovely. You're such a wonderful woman and all this stuff, right? In ballads, it's more about getting into the emotional side of jazz and really, really trying to bring that out. And right. I feel that I do. I, I feel like that's where I shine in, in, in whatever I do in music. Okay. Okay. Because I was thinking, you know, some of the some of the more bouncy, playful bits in in big band or in jazz, some of them have a kind of a an argumentative feel to it. Um, I like to compare musical styles to having conversations at a at a coffee at a dinner table, where some of them sound like you're having a very intimate conversation. The ballad, you're you're sitting and it's a one on one. There's eye contact. Everything is suggestive simply based on the actions, the activity, and the words that are being used. Other conversations are more lively, right? You're having a drink, maybe something spills, you're laughing, you're joking. And I find that certain musical styles incorporate that, where the song, it isn't so much about the content as it is about the feeling you're trying to express. And I have a, I have a sensation if you put 
your feelings into, you know, let you embed yourself within songs, you'd easily be able to enjoy every kind of song that you're that you're doing. I found some of the pieces that I watched you do. It's like you're enjoying it. It's like you're you're part of it. You kind of throw yourself into it. And, and I see you, you're kind of bouncing along, you're pointing off at the drums, you're hitting the notes and and it's engaging to watch. It's 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 an authentic yeah. feel. It's not like you're just saying the words, you memorize them, you're saying the words at the right notes and everything. For you, it's like you're you're playing in it. It's it's almost theatrical, I would say. So it's nice to see the skill set there. Even if you lean towards the ballad where it's uh, heartfelt, I still see a playful side to some of the songs that you're doing mm -hmm. where you are engaged. You are a part of it. It's not just music to you that you're having to express, but it's actually something more than the music. And the music is part of the venue that brings it out. But it's like you're having a conversation with the audience. You're You're playing with them and you're letting them sort of engage with you and 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 play back and it looks like you feed off off of that from from some of the audiences that have watched so is that the case for you do you feed off your audience and i don't mean that in a negative way but do you actually draw energy uh from them to continue oh yeah for sure um i feel like the the audience the audience ah, the audience's energy is just as important as what you put out on the stage right and you, you can really feel it when you're performing. And when you feel that sort of energy in the room, it all just clicks together, in my opinion. And for me, that just brings out a much bigger show, not only for me, but for the for the band behind me. Right. Because I know they can feel it too, and they just bring it to another level. And do they draw off, do you find when you're playing with a, with a group, with a band, with a quartet, with a... With a um you know a single other and um artist musical artist you find that they draw off you that they play off of how you're going and do you do the same with them they go on a riff and you'll take your musical your vocals off on a riff with them or is it all is it all sort of mechanical and structured for you i i feel that way yeah, i do um it's actually funny you say that uh, the first week i was in U university of toronto i was put into a obviously everyone gets put into uh small ensembles right and when i was put into a small ensemble i got to work with a man named john mcleod i'm sure you've heard of him he's a, he's a big trumpeteer guy big cornish guy uh from from here i believe or i, I forget where he's from okay. but I, I know i got to work with him and he he runs the uh big band at the rex hotel Okay, and it was just a pleasure working with him. But the first lesson I had with him, we were all guys that haven't really met each other. And he says, Okay, bass, drums, you two are going to play together, just improvise, do whatever you can just improvise and play off of each other. And we did this with all different sections. And this, uh, this was our this was my first experience with the small ensemble, I never really we never played it we didn't play any standards that day we just worked on that okay. and i felt that that it really helped with getting not only getting to know these guys but also getting to know their playing styles well we can what i can do with them to feed off of them in, right. in there in any performance that we do and that really helped gain a sense of synergy within our band so when when i go on stage with these guys i feel that when we're performing I can easily draw the uh, energy from them and now from any other instrumentalists that I work with nice. because of those exercises. Fantastic. Do you have anybody in the music genre, music field, pardon me, that you look up to somebody in either music or singing and, and who do you see your vocal goals as being? And I say it in, in that way, in an essence that you know, somebody who is at the top of their game, somebody who you feel this is, the best of the best according to me and i'm looking at that and saying this is where i want to go this is this is the voice that i want to have later in life or you know in the next six months i'm pushing myself and that's where i want to go do you have something like that it's got to be michael buble really you know yeah he obviously everything I, I in my life has connected to him okay we're both jazz we're both jazz guys um he we're both canadian that's the most important part. I, I, I like to see the, the Canadian heritage in my jazz. Yeah. Um, and it's really, it's really funny. I, I recently learned that if it wasn't for music, it, he, Buble was on his last um, performance. And he said, if this doesn't, if nothing comes out of this, and I'm going back to school to be a journalist. Right. And funny enough, 
I was about to go to school to become a journalist without, I, I wanted to go to school to become a sports journalist. I wanted to go into the sports field. If, if, I, if I realized that this wasn't really something that I wanted to do, which mm -hmm. obviously now I know is something that I want to do. Um, I knew that if, the, if there was anything else to fall back on, it would be sports journalism. And it's just funny to me that I could connect to Buble in so many ways that it even stretches out to our own lives. Hmm. So if there was anyone I, I would look up to right now in jazz, it would probably be Michael Buble. Wow. Um, and now because you brought it up, I'm bouncing around in the questions, but uh, if music was not in your life, where would you be? Would it be uh, sports journalism? Is that your, your where you see yourself if music was not part of your life? For sure. Um, I always say growing up, I was never the athletic kid. I never really fit in with the athletic guys. But I realized that if I can't fit in with the athletic guys, I'll just talk with the athletic guys. Uh. Right? I can't, I can't play the sports. I might as well talk about them. So uh, over the pandemic, I really was looking into a lot of these sports because no one else had anything better to do. Right. I was doing music. I was working on my voice. And I was working on sports journalism. I, I was writing out statistics. I was making graphs. I was writing all these imaginary stories, not imaginary stories, just stories that I'd imagine I'd put out someday I about see. different players and how much they've impacted their teams and different takes I had about these sports. And I truly found a love for it. I would say that it's nearly on par with my music. And I think that if it wasn't for music, I'd probably be at Ryerson or TMU right now working at a working on uh, sports journalism with TSN, because I know they have a, uh, a co-op there for it. So I would probably be there right now. Fantastic. And apart from singing, apart from music, what's important to you? Where is your heart when music is not the focus? My heart would really be around helping people. I Throughout my life, I've always done charity. I have always worked for the homeless. I, I went a couple of years ago when I was about 11, 12 years old, we went down, uh, we did a charity event where we went downtown and we took all these pieces of clothing and handed them out to the homeless. And this was, this was through my, uh, my religious group. And we went down there Tim Hortons even came, gave out coffees. And this is the most memorable experience to me because it really opened my eyes to how much issues that were going on downtown with the homeless and right. even during the winter they had nowhere to go yeah so it completely opened my eyes to what i can do to really help these people and since then it's been a, a life goal of mine to do as much as i can to help them so even with music as part of your life even as busy as it may make you in your career you would still maintain that connection to helping the homeless helping the needy yes Yes. And what about, and I know this is from personal, you wrote, written to me about it. Um, are, do the elderly also have a place uh, in your mind, oh, in your heart? Yes, of course. Yeah, of course they do. I, I honestly thought that was a given <laughs> with the type of music that I do. But yeah, the music, the, the elderly hold a very, very special place in my heart. Right. Um, getting to perform for them is such a treat because every time that I do, it kind of makes me feel like I'm Sinatra up there performing to these lovely young ladies. <laughs> you need right? contacts and though. Kind of, <laughs> I need to get the blue contacts, you're right. There you go. And, and I need to get a top hat too. But when uh, when I, there's some people that I met in these homes that I've performed to, they say, oh yeah, I used to be in a boys group with uh, Engelbert Humperdinck, I used to be, I used to I, I used to go see Sinatra all the time whenever he was here and getting to perform in front of these people who are have experienced these greats in person. It's just another world of knowledge that I can learn from them. Not only that, but it also just means so, so much to me to get to give them a new experience in this. Yeah, you know. Absolutely. There's a there's a hotel. It looks sort of like a castle on the Finger Lakes. Um, I was there. I was there a few years ago, and 
it's where the Rat Pack used to hang out when they were off gig. Like they'd go and secret themselves away because it's wine country and they can be in a place where, you know, they're familiar enough, but not like crowded by people. And walking into the smaller venue, which is, you know, the, the, the lounge area, you can almost get the feel that they're there, you know, up on stage and one of them is singing and the other one's got a cigarette out, you know, just outside on the patio, looking at the lake off in the distance. You, if you get the chance, you have to go just to get that feel, get that that emotional connection to a historical place that held them so often, so frequently. It, it's it, for me, it was sure. really it was interesting. I mean, I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of everything that they've done, but being in that venue, you felt like you were. You felt like you were a part of it. Like it's there's it's like the ghosts of society have dragged themselves into you, and you feel wow. I feel connected to this. I feel like I'm I'm actually there right now and they're they're here. Um so if you do if you do get the chance it's a place to go. It's a place to it's a place to visit. Sort of like a uh, um what do they call that a a voyage to a holy place. You you could <laughs> you kind of feel that way about uh about going there. Um for you what's your dream performance venue? It would probably be LA or not, not just LA, Las Vegas, um, New Orleans, okay. all these places that are known for being the top of the top right? in terms of my jazz world. Um, I know for a fact that I, I've always wanted to go to New Orleans. The, even, even before I got into jazz, I just knew that New Orleans was such a big place of music culture. And I just always wanted to experience that. Right. Las Vegas is more about the jazz culture and i really wanted to i i when i especially when i go to come to age i really want to go there and experience it firsthand and really get the true vegas experience um in terms of la personally i don't know why i brought up la but <laughs> i know i know i know that la is a beautiful city beautiful place for music and where everything's at right now so right. I, well, I, I mean, know it's, that. it's versatile. LA is versatile. You can come as you are and do what you do. And they sort of accept all of that. And given your versatility and style, you'd be able to do anything, uh, maybe not Justin Bieber, and be accepted for <laughs> <laughs> and be accepted in that open arms. Like, hey, that's we we're enjoying this. I understand Vegas because I can see you on the stage with a big band behind you and all the lights and the flashy black suit uh, and maybe the pork pie hat slightly tilted on the side uh you'd be far enough away from the audience they wouldn't be able to tell that you don't have the blue eyes but you'd definitely be able to sing that and and the power because i've been in in a couple of the venues in vegas the power is focused at the stage so you would be wholly energized uh from doing a show there if you were ever able to do uh do a show in vegas uh even just to get up on the stage when there's nobody in a room, just say, hey, can I go in and try this and start singing on the stage? I'm sure that everybody would start coming in. Just who is this? Who is this on the stage? <laughs> um, and then, of course, New Orleans, anytime, any, you know, Mardi Gras, not even Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras, it, it, you'd get lost. You would absolutely get swallowed by New Orleans at Mardi Gras. But to be able to yeah. sing there, to be able to to get the feel for it, to walk around and and just absorb that the musical stylings that are there. I'm sure it might even have an impact on your stylings, listening to some of the oh, music, yeah. listening to some of the singing. Um, you might get some impromptu sessions with a pianist that, uh, at, you know, the piano bars that are spread across certain, certain areas of the city. Um, you probably get impacted by that. Uh, I'd like to make a suggestion for for a place, if you've not heard of it, that you should go to, even when there's nothing playing, just to try out your vocals there would be um, Red Rock in um, Denver, Colorado. Just outside of Denver is a place called Red Rock, and it's a huge natural amphitheater. And you wow. on the stage, you look up and there's red rock going up both sides, walls that are 100 feet high. And the it just spreads out. And I've gone on the stage, I actually walked down, gone on the stage and said, thank you, Denver. <laughs> and you can hear it. It just, it the, vo the, the sound just sprays out. It's perfectly, perfectly made for a singer. For you to get up and just sing, you know, one, one song up there, you'd have 
the people that exercise there during the day, they just run up and down the stairs because it's all stairs, but they'd stop and listen to you for sure. Absolutely. For sure. They would stop and listen to you. It's a phenomenal natural stage that if you played there, you'd say, yeah, I'll come back. I'd come back and play again. So if you have the opportunity, I'm putting that egg into your, into your basket of things to do. That's a place you should definitely go visit and see. Of course, you're giving me a uh, vacation list here. <laughs> Finger Lakes, now this. <laughs> well, the Finger hey, Lakes is me a personal trek to get you connected. The uh, Red Rock is a, is a professional gig. See if you can get yourself in there. Um, you'll enjoy it. You'll absolutely enjoy it. And Denver's a great place as well. So, you know, place to hang out and then a place to sing. Um, so I have to ask you about mentors. I really do because... You are talented, but there has to be something behind that. I mean, if it's natural, you are one of those unique individuals that has that natural ability, natural skill. And if there's no one behind you guiding you, you have must have an old soul or you have borrowed several old souls that have all incorporated in your head. So I'll ask, do you have mentor mentors and how are they helping you? Um. I have, I have one or two mentors. They would be Glenn Morley and Elaine Overholt. Now, Glenn Morley, he's a producer for more orchestral stuff. Right. Um, he, he has worked with Gino Vanelli and a lot of these guys um, on different albums. And he's, he's an incredibly talented human being who's also helped me himself, given his own time to really help me with producing my own music, learning how to write lyrics properly, um really just giving me any uh any uh, sorry uh criticisms and uh what's i my the, it's the words blanking for me right now but it's giving me a sorry feedback that's yes. the word it gives me so much feedback on anything that i do and it's always incredibly positive and does whatever he can to help me as much as he possibly can right. so i really thank him for that Elaine is more of the vocal side of things. She helps me so much with getting my voice and performance in shape. And she's also been really helpful with getting me into the song instead of just singing the song. Right. Um, as you say, growing a connection to the song and really bringing it out, it, it's all her. She's really brought that out in me. And I thank her so much for that. Is she now, still the two of them collaborate? Uh, yes, she is. Um, these are these are two people that I have a pleasure of working with for over a year now. Oh, nice! And yeah, uh, it's just so amazing that I get to work with them. Um, they have also given me a lot of opportunities to work in the professional field. They have given me the opportunity to work with this cl a very classical, uh, a bit sorry, a big classical um, prodigy, Alma Deutscher. Okay, um, if you've heard of her. Um, I was able to work with her on Glenn Gould's 95th birthday anniversary celebration at, at Kerner Hall. Nice. Um, and that was just another world of knowledge, not only that, but an incredible, incredible experience to get to work in something that's not really my foray, right? I'm more yeah. of the jazz guy. But yeah. the, reason, the reason why she didn't go with a classical guy, which I learned recently, was because she really wanted a modern voice. And she found that when she listened to the tapes that Glenn provided her, she thought that this uh, this would per perfectly suit that character. Oh, nice. Yeah. And how did you feel uh, the experience went? Did you feel there was, uh, did you feel collaboratory or did you feel, you know, you she was phenomenal and you were learning and you felt sort of student and, and, and teacher kind of mode or was it equals? Did you feel you both I... had strengths? I felt that it was kind of a mix of both that I felt we were very, uh, very on the same page, right? In terms of where our minds were at. Um, she was incredible, incredible to work with. Um, her mind moves very fast as I, I believe mine does as well. So it was really great to work with someone who just goes at light speed and really likes to uh, just, just loves music, which is all, all she does eat, sleep, dream music. <laughs> And when it came to the classical stuff, it felt like she knew everything. And I was just saying, it like, I know John Coltrane. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know much about classical music. Right. So right. it was just fun to get to 
learned so much from that. Did she help you with vocal stylings? Did she give you some suggestions on how to get either more power or more uh, range uh, in your voice? That would be more Elaine. She would she would really help me out with that. Oh, okay. But in terms, in, when we were practicing for this Kerner Hall gig, uh, she was she was really adamant on helping me with different phrasings and the things like how she really wanted to be portrayed because obviously she wrote it all. Ah, okay. So she would know best. Yes. Um, up until I met her, because I was the fir the first practice I had with her was two days before the gig. Oh my goodness! And I was practicing. I had the sheet music for about four months. Oh, okay. So in that time, me and Elaine were just assuming what she wanted me to say oh, or how she wanted okay. to do it. Right. So when we got to the practice, she was like, "Oh yeah, you want to? We wanted to be more subtle. We wanted to be more clueless. We want. We wanted to be more." just bonehead basically right. and i was like oh i could do that like <laughs> i could get into that i'm a jazz musician for god's sake i could do that i'm just making a joke but, but it, it was it was just either way it was just a really fun experience and she she really taught me a lot fantastic so on that performance given you had two days notice so to speak when you when you dropped in and found out oh it's a slight change in everything that you've been doing um i want to ask you about nerves and nervous in your performance do you get nervous do you have nerves when you're going coming up on stage when you're getting ready uh to go out and perform or in the case some other people that i've spoken with it's not so much nerves as adrenaline and what they do is they just simply channel it and it becomes part of their singing, part of the act, part of the story. It just becomes powerful for them. How is it for you? How do you deal with or how do you have nerves? Um, I feel that I, I do get nervous. Yes, I do. But I don't get nervous in a sense that, oh, I can't go on stage. I get nervous in the fact that when I get nervous, I'm happy that I do because it really just brings the adrenaline rush. And with all that nervous energy, it brings an, it brings an energy in my performance that relates to, that I believe relates to the audience. And then the audience's energy relays back to me. And then it just sort of forms a connection from there. And then the band gets the energy and then everyone gets the energy and the whole room's full of energy. Fantastic. So that's, that's just how I think about it. But so you don't, you don't, um, I've spoken with some artists and the only nerves they get are nerves around ensuring that the performance is good. They're not afraid to go up on stage. It's more, I hope I do this right. I want this to be really good. I want this to, I want this to wow people. I want this to make them feel happy they came to this performance. Do you get that kind of an experience where you're, you're thinking, you get up I, on stage, I, you're about to belt that song out and you're thinking, this better come off good. <laughs> Oh, of course. Um, I believe everyone has that sort of mentality when it comes to their performances. Like, oh, we got to make this the best possible thing we could possibly make it. Right. But in in my sort of mentality, I'm like, we got to make it the best possible thing. But we also want to have fun. Like, we don't want to go up there and just go scripted, 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 scripted. We want to just go with the flow. And that's how I go about every single one of my performances because it really brings a charm of making it real and making it an actual experience over really just saying something that I'd say at every other show. Yeah. Yeah. No, that sounds, um, I'm going to give you a, a, a good um, compliment in that an authentic singer is a really good singer. You hear really, really good voices, but the authenticity is lacking. And so the song has something missing in it. And then you hear people that they are authentic singers. The singing is coming from their heart, from their soul, and they're having fun. You can see they're enjoying it. And when they have fun, the audience has fun. And those singers, those are really good singers because it's authentic music. It's not just good music. It's not phenomenal styling capabilities, phenomenal voice, vocal range. But they're not having fun. They're just simply going through the motions, and you kind of feel like it. It's almost yeah. like you're 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 sitting in a seat, watching a TV program that you know they've got acting cues and all this kind of stuff. And that to me is not an engaged uh, performance. Whereas I've watched you, even watching it in video, I feel I'm a part of it because you have fun. You are engaging, even even if it is across a video screen. I get that connection. 
I, I sit there and I go, yeah, you know, I can I get involved in this. You know, I can feel my, I get my finger snapping to some of the songs or, you know, my foot is moving because I'm engaged. I'm not feeling like I'm watching a performance. I feel like I'm a part of a performance. And that that's my compliment yeah. to you in that you put that energy out, you put that authenticity out and it's palpable. So I hope you notice it. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, that means a lot. It really does. I, I try my best to make every performance a memorable one. And I really, and through that, I feel like doing a different performance every time really brings it, you know, cause a lot of people could say, oh, I saw this guy. Yeah, he was amazing. Oh, we saw, but they saw the exact same show. Yeah. I want to bring, I want to bring different experiences for different people. And I feel like that will make it the most enjoyable. If you were to get a gig, let's say in New Orleans or in Vegas, would every night's show, five nights a week, be a different show? If you did this, let's say six months with Noah Costa, five nights a week, are you going to put together something different and something change things up every single night? Or would for you that start to get a little, a little bit, oh, here we go again. <laughs> you know, I'm going to say this. You can only make it so different for so long. Yeah. Right. At one, at one point, especially when you're doing five shows a week for six months, you kind of start getting used to a routine at that point. Right. But obviously within the routine, you could do different things. And for different people, obviously it could be a different show, but it'll still be based around the same premise. We'll probably still be doing the same songs. Um, different songs. Yeah, we could do that as well. But at this point in time, that is something I have not thought about planning. Because <laughs> I, I haven't, obviously, I have never been to New Orleans yet. So no. I, I wouldn't even know how that would, how that experience would be. But basic, basing off of what I think it could be, I can say that I think we can make it different. But at, at, at some point, you just got to say, okay, we've been doing this for so long we're going to do this the right way. Right. Well, doing it the right way and being authentic every time, I think makes it unique to some of the venues that, you know, I've been through uh, where it feels unique, you know, or it feels, it feels like if you came every night, you'd see the same show. Like you say, it's kind of like a comedy routine. Sometimes you see some comics get mm -hmm. up there and when you watch them on stage live, the routine they're giving is the same one you saw six months ago on TV when they were on Just for Laughs or something to that effect, where you're watching it going, this is exactly the same. I'm even hearing the laughing that same sounds the cues. same. Yep, yep. Same vocal cues, same, same pitches in the voice. It's just yep. all the same. Yeah, exactly. Whereas I don't think I'd see that with you. I mean, I don't, uh, I, I've listened to you singing the same song in two different occasions. And on those two different occasions, you sang them differently. So to me, that would make them unique right there. That uh, And more than likely for you, you'd probably play off people in the audience. And so mm -hmm. you would make it different because it's not the same person in the audience. It's not the same individual that you're talking to. It's not the same band. It's the same band member, but the same band member may do a little bit of impromptu piece. And when they do that, you'd play off of that. And to me, that makes it unique as opposed to routine, right? Yeah. It also depends on the audience I'm performing to, obviously. Like when I go to these different places, I always try to feed off what the audience likes. And I obviously have a set list before I go on stage. But when I see that something's not working and it's a string of songs that just don't work with the audience, I'm like, okay, guys, we're completely going off script here. We're doing, we're doing, we're, we're throwing in these songs here, here, here. If they like Elvis, we're going to do Elvis. If they like, uh, if they like, different Sinatra songs, we're going to do different Sinatra songs. I just like feeding off of what the energy of what the energy is and what the audience likes and what I what I assume the audience likes. Nice, nice. I, I'd like to see actually I haven't seen you do an Elvis. I'd like to see you do caught in a trap. That one would probably play you'd probably do that one. Well, <laughs> I can't yeah, remember what that was called. <laughs> yeah, suspicious minds. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. See, you do know stuff you do have you do know more and you, I know here I'm thinking what's that word? Yeah, what's the name? I got to tell you, uh, it's been recently I grew into the Elvis stuff. Um, it was mainly for the retirement homes because I realized that the age of Sinatra and Dean Martin and all these guys, 
they're kind of fading because all these guys in the retirement homes now they're starting to be they're starting to be the guys who listen to elvis chubby checker mm. and all these artists that they probably grew up with yeah and their parents music was probably sinatra at that point so when i go into these places i realize now that i have to include elvis in my set and my set list and i know that in the jazz world he wasn't really the most well liked to begin mm. uh, regarding Sinatra, he didn't really have the best opinion of Elvis. Uh, I just watched a Paul Anka interview before coming on. He was saying no one in the jazz world really liked Elvis. But when I finally got to sit down with him, when he was working at the hotel in Vegas, he fell in love with him. Yeah. So it's it's a more of an honor thing at this point when uh, obviously Elvis is not jazz, but the things that Elvis was doing and his voicing styles it's very similar to what a crooner would be doing back in the day. Yep, exactly. I mean, I've uh, some of the songs, like I say, a good singer is a versatile singer. You are versatile. And to listen to music outside of a specific genre and pulling that in and incorporating it gives you more vocal range, gives you more vocal stylings that you can incorporate it in to the music stylings that you currently have, right? So like you, like I said, in your in your album, which I'm gonna ask you about in a little more detail, Bossa Nova, you can incorporate Bossa Nova in, 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 in a Frank Sinatra song, if you want to, you can just give it that bit of a twist and it's still the same song, but now it's got a different bounce to it. Um, so speaking of your album, it dropped in May, details, give me some details on it. Cause I know it's no more than just one specific genre of music. And I'd like to sort of feed mm -hmm. on that one for me. So this album was an an album gifted to me from winning the live or not live city one I talk about the Long McQuaid singing contest who which was hosted by John Santos right and through this uh, through this I was able to record an eight song album with a man named Anthony Wright now he went to Shenandoah for to train as a musician and he's it was just a match made in heaven working with a guy who trained in a jazz school for for jazz piano and really being on the same page as him. He's so, he has so much experience. He got to work with Beyonce on, a, on, on the I Am Sasha Fierce tour mm. uh, back in God, God knows how long ago, but um, it was just so amazing to get to work with someone so uh, mind, uh, like-minded of me in terms of the jazz world. Mm -hmm. And it was refreshing. So when we get to the, the stage of working on the first song of the eight song album, I'm like, you know what, let's try, uh, the, for this album, I really wanted to try as much genres as possible because it's only an eight song album. I only have so much to work with. Let's do as much as we can. I don't want to stick to one genre for this because then it's just going to be any other album. So we start off with a pop song, which is called One. And I think it was a very fun, different sort of alternative pop thing that we did there. Um, we did a song called The Wanderer, which yeah. I believe is which is the one that included the saxophone this is why i want to talk about the saxophone later when i started picking up the saxophone again it was for it was an inspiration of this song when i first listened to it i really liked the changes i really liked the words behind it and i felt i could connect to it so when i realized that we only went through one form of the song for the entire song i felt like we needed to add something and that's where the saxophone came in i i re-picked up the saxophone worked on it for a couple of worked on a solo on it for a couple of days and 20 takes later in the studio we have the wanderer nice. um and that that's a slow jazz ballad type of song right now in terms of fast big band songs we have she's a 10. now when we were writing these things it was a co-write so when i went to anthony he's he, i'm talking to him he's like how what, what have you been up to lately and he said Oh, I just uh, I just got I just uh, got this new girlfriend. She's amazing. We just went on a date night, and it was just such a wonderful time. And I said, you know, what? let's write about that uh, that that experience of going out on a date night, going out on the town, and just having the most wonderful night, just a magical, magical night. And that's where she's a tennis from. That's all. That's basically where it stemmed from. The entire night of his date night was the inspiration <laughs> for that song. And I feel like a lot of people could connect to that because what do you think of when you're first going to date night? You're going to a restaurant, you're going to a bar, you're going to have fun. And I, f I felt that I've even done that 
I, I, I remember taking one or two girls to, to a date night one time on a, to a, re, a fancy restaurant going out on the town, just having a fun time. So I feel like yep. a lot of people can relate to that. Um, the Bossa Nova it is something that I've really loved for years. Um, I love listening. The first real Sinatra song I, like, I really got into in terms of Bossa Nova was the classic that everyone gets into. It's a, a Girl from Ipanema. Yes. And that song, I was about to go to Florida and it was just the perfect timing that I found that song because it just reminded me of the beach and just reminded me of just so much calmness, you know? And when I came to this, I'm like, we have to include a Bossa Nova song. And that's where break kind of came in. And when my, we wrote break, I was kind of feeling stressed out because it was the end of the university year and I was going through my first exams since the pandemic. And it was just a lot of stress. So writing about break is just, you need, sometimes you just need to take a break from everything. Right. Just get off your computers, get off your phones and just relax. Remember the world is the world. Just yeah. Remember that you 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 have to calm down. Um, in terms of the other songs that I did, we did a quartet piece on there uh, called "All You Need." I'm very sure. Or sorry, "What You Need." There it is, "What You Need," and that song's a fun one. That's all I can say about it because um, I feel like I'm already talking about this album way too long. <laughs> already than what the timestamp was <laughs> but yeah we have we have a uh, christmas song on there which was a great idea to have even though it released in april it's still a great song to have on your repertoire and i know you want yeah you want people to hear in november you'd like to start playing in november yeah. um it's something it's something that i'm going to be promoting the hell out of in november <laughs> and really it's something that i'm real i'm happy with in terms of yeah, I got to try it out. So because obviously I've never done a Christmas song before, and this is a great for foray into it. Right. Um, if I can remember off the top of my head, what else I included in this? Right, the most important song, the title song. All I want to say, <laughs> my God, how did I forget that one? <laughs> so all I want to say was one that I wrote an an experience about an, an experience I had about myself, and really going for a girl that doesn't seem to be interested in you but you will do anything in your power to make it work and through any relationship issues that you have or anything that you've gone through it's just everything is forgotten about when it comes to anything anything is forgotten about you just want the girl yeah because it makes you happy you just want to be you just want the feeling of happiness and I found that in that song, I really put my energy and heart into it. And I found that I loved, this is the favorite song, my favorite song I ever recorded in my life. Hmm. Because I put so much effort into the, the production and the lyrics of it. Because I was going to ask you, what was your favorite song on the album? And there you go. I don't need to ask because you answer the questions. Funny, because I, I almost them. forgot it was even a song on the album. <laughs> <laughs> you would have remembered when I asked you. So, what's your favorite song on the album? You go, oh my word! I didn't even yeah, say. Yeah, this I would have remembered then. I would have remembered that. But you know, the the funny thing also about that song is that it's very versatile. I took that song, which is very R and B, very poppy R and B type of style song, right, and brought it to a Rex performance that I did, where I gave it to a quartet that I that I strung together on the fly. Yeah, and performed in a sweat in a sweater and jeans and just went on stage at a jazz bar and performed that song um and it was just such an amazing feeling to get to perform that song in that setting in a sort of jazz uh modern jazz style yeah yeah so you even took your own song and twisted it to mm -hmm. a new genre because it is adaptable so like you that song is versatile <laughs> Yeah, I guess I, I guess I can relate to it that much because of how versatile it can be. Um, I, I, the, I, nothing else to talk about that. <laughs> I don't think there's, there's much else to say or to really say about all I want to say. So 
Because I think then I've already I'll said ask all you what, what is the best advice you have ever been given and who gave it to you? I'm going to ask you that one because there are two questions I ask everybody that I speak with because it's important. The listeners like to know the kinds of advice that are given to people and 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 learn from it. So for you, um, who gave you and what was the best advice you have ever been given? And if it's tie your shoes in the third grade, buddy. <laughs> you know, it actually it actually came this year. I don't think I've talked about this with anyone, not even my parents. This was an experience I had with John McLeod. And really, when I stepped into University of Toronto, I was mainly a Sinatra guy and Dean Martin guy. I didn't really think about performing any of the quartet classics. And when I came into to his sort of small ensemble class, he said, you know, I just, I, I travel around the world a lot and I see all these guys and they're doing the exact same thing that you're doing. They're all out there singing with the big band, singing with the Sinatra stuff. So if you think you're the only one doing this, you're not. I, I, my goal here is to really bring you into the world of jazz. And what he did for me is he gave me a list of singers to listen to, Johnny Hartman, um, uh, Kenny Wheeler, mm. a lot of these amazing jazz guys that I would have never listened to if it wasn't for him. And I got to owe it to him to really open my eyes to the biggest world of jazz. Because obviously, and the next question, I'm going to be saying a completely different thing, but the the real the real big band stuff, how I got into that, but I really owe it to John for showing me that jazz is not just big band. Yep. That's phenomenal. I mean, that's for a musician to have someone to say to them, what you're doing isn't unique. Listen to these people and you'll see what a difference you can be is, is phenomenal. That's something. And for you to listen, to take that to heart, because some people, they would have taken that and go, nah, this is what I'm doing. I don't need to listen to that. But you are open enough to say, you know what? This is kind of different. I like this. I like this. This fits what I want to do. This is a this is a slight change in the versatility that I can that I can employ, and that's a good thing. That's a that's a phenomenal thing. Um, the other question that I ask everybody, and it's unique. Some people have been taken aback by the question because it makes them think about themselves. There's a movie out, Citizen Kane. It's been out for decades. A lot of your audience will know the uh, the uh, your fans will know Citizen Kane, uh, but it's based around the one premise of Rosebud, which is uh, a defining moment or thing in your life that makes you who you are. And so my question is, what is your Rosebud? You know, when you first asked me this question, it was it, it did make me think a lot about myself and my life. But when I finally came to realize who that person was, I know it could be anything, but I know who, who it really is. It's my grandfather. Uh, we call him Grandpapa because we're uh, half my family's French, half my family's more English. Mm -hmm. But we call him Grandpapa. And he has been the biggest inspiration on me. He's, he's given me so many criticisms over the years. He's been my number one critic. I'll tell you that because obviously he got to experience this music firsthand. So getting to real, and he, he's a real, he's a real hard man. Like he, he will not sh be shy to say anything he didn't like. Right. So I go to him after my performances, whenever I perform, say, perform for him and say, how do you like it? He says, Oh, the pitch, the pitches were too high. You got to turn down the highs. You got to, your song selections it wasn't good enough you got to take bigger better songs the the uh, the feel of the songs you got to do better feels you're doing too many swing songs and you're just doing one slow song you got to split it up a bit you know so he's a big critic in terms of how i formulate my sets how i can sing these songs and really has opened up my world of big band music. I say that John opened up my world of jazz, but he was the first real person to really open my eyes to what big band and jazz would be. So he, in all in all, he's my rosebud. Here's Noah Costa with She's a 10. Enjoy. Let's go. 
night Don't make them wait We'll make them all jealous Soon as we walk in They'll say that girl She's a ten Our table's reserved tonight Just for us two Sin, oh, because my girl, she's a ten. Bella's make some room on the dance floor. Stop your staring, she'll just leave you wanting more. Now when the evening ends, I'll walk you home. We'll get lost in our eyes as the streets we roam. Wake up tomorrow and do it again. I swear that girl, she's a ten. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today, Noah, and I am looking forward, hopefully, to another album. I'll be looking to see if you're performing here in Ottawa at any point in time. I would definitely come and see the show. Um, I'm going to keep my ear to the ground to see if uh, you're going to be in Vegas at any point in time or in uh, New Orleans, and I will definitely go there to see you because that seems to be where where your heart is at so i'd love to see you in a place where where you know you get that full impact of energy uh collaboration and and synergy so it would be my pleasure to see you perform live hopefully in the near future it would be my pleasure for you to be there thanks for listening we'll have another edition of the easy jazz spotlight coming soon